0: On this episode of the podcast, I'm joined by Mass Fries. Mass is the founder of the Growth Island podcast, where he covers topics around health, performance, business, and life's bigger mysteries. Aside from the podcast, he has also co-built three successful startups and has a background in management consulting with Deloitte. Mass is using this experience to train startups, and he has worked with over 150 global teams to date. Mass joined me for a conversation on two topics that he's very passionate about, what makes people happy, and Nordic biohacking. In the episode, we discuss the three types of happiness and where to start when trying to find happiness. We also talk about the philosophy behind Nordic biohacking and the importance of incorporating nature and science together. I hope you enjoy.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Journey 28. Um, today, I have Mass Fries on the podcast, and um, I think I got that pronunciation right. Uh, I didn't super anglify it, but... Um, I'm excited to have this conversation. We were chatting just a little bit before um, where you're actually my first guest from Europe. And um, I think that we're gonna go into some topics that I haven't necessarily touched on before. So I'm super excited for it. Happy for you to be here. Um, And I would love you just to introduce yourself.
2: Sure. So thank you so much for getting me on Jared. And that was surprisingly well-pronounced my name. So as you said, my name is Mess. I'm from Denmark, and um, I love to figure out what makes people happy. That's kind of the thing that's been driving me for many years. Like, what is it that gives us a meaningful life? And I've that's been part of my journey for many years, from reading the Dalai Lama to Tony Robbins to uh, studying some business and uh, psychology, um, to then building companies within health and well-being. It's a big, uh, a very big passion for me. Um, so how can we both affect people at a high level? But also like personal development camps and so on and then i run a podcast as well where i've interviewed more than 70 people around these topics and i love to learn new things and excited about talking to someone like you who has something in their heart and and I'm talking to different individuals
1: awesome amazing i love that and want to dive into it but um i love to start off just to kind of give some context for people um And I like doing that through just hearing a little bit about your story of how you got to where you are today, you know, um, you touched on a couple of things that you've done. um, But even backing up a little bit further, like where'd you grow up, Um, you know, what was your family like, what were you like as a kid, Um, all the way up to, you know, different jobs or different passions and uh, what brought you to where you are today.
2: Yeah, sure. So I grew up in a, in a city outside of the capital city, Roskilde uh, in Denmark, and I was always extremely curious. So I drove my parents nuts with questions about everything. Uh, I used to take all the electronics apart and try to build new things. And I would ask like, why is a horse called a horse? Why is it not called a cow? And what if I call it a cow, is it then not a horse? Uh, in like a young age, <laughs> these kind of questions that, I'm not sure why I had those um, and always had the drive to like build things and, and try and make new things. So when I was like five years old, I was selling uh, peaches or what's called blums outside of our, our apartment, uh, yelling at the people walking by. Um, so that was, that was part of my upbringing, being super curious um, and doing sports. Um, always loved to be part of a team. I played football and handball as a, as a young, young boy, um, also up into my teenage years and so on which very much formed my discipline, playing at a a higher level and playing with teammates and learning that you have different roles from being one year, you might be um, one of the guys uh, taking most of the shots because in Denmark, we are like one year with the ones older and one year with the ones younger. Um, So that was a big part of changing my upbringing.
1: i was just gonna jump in and quickly on that is a really interesting thing Um, that sports taught me as well so I played American football um, here is learning how to you know play your role Uh, when you first when you're younger when you first come on the team your role is very different from when you're older you know if you're um, you know a bigger part of the team one of the better players one of the captains and learning how to play all of those roles um, within that team was invaluable to me Um, and realizing you can't just determine what you're going to be and then force your way into it you have to learn how to be a leader and how to be a follower sometimes
2: exactly i think that's so useful i there was definitely like fantastic lessons for me doing that in the sport environment both the community and then learning like how you contribute in different ways so that was that was a very big part of, of my upbringing um, my parents got divorced when i was uh, a teenager in in yeah um a difficult divorce for them so that made me super in like what drives us to be happy and not and and what what does it take to have a happy life so i started reading the Lama and tony robbins and stuff like that and really dug a lot into the psychology of like what can we actually do um so that makes up the psychology of what makes us happy and then always been extremely competitive and played like competitive sports had an older brother that was extremely competitive who would never let me win and so like what is it that drives the top performance like who why does someone become the best in the world so that's something that's that was really a big driver um for me getting older um i went traveling after high school to uh, a little bit around the world to also see like how would that be to be at my own feet and it was a trend of learning to like see different cultures, like Australia, which is, I guess, a bit similar to Denmark, but but still seeing something else and travel in, in Thailand and so on. I guess the classic that many people go backpacking. But I think it's definitely broadened my view. Um, another trip was in India, where I went from just wanting to be a millionaire when I became old uh, to really realize there was probably something bigger in life. It's such a cliche, right? But there's a reason why it's a cliche It's because it happens for many people seeing the poverty in the the streets. And I was realizing like, I was working at a clothing store as well. Like, why was I selling expensive diesel jeans? Like that was not really what makes a good life. Like some of these kids that had nothing looks more happy than some of the kids that I saw in Denmark that had everything. And yet there was also like this, that was really like mind boggling for me being like, how can they look so happy when they have nothing? And how can we live such a rich life and not, like, contribute more to, uh, to actually solving some of these problems, right? And Denmark is a rich little bubble where we have a fairly good life, um, a welfare system, and so on.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that one's huge. And it's, it's a topic that I've looked into a little bit more, too, is, you know, trying to change that measure of success, even, from you know what is typically viewed as money is successful to happiness is successful, and realizing that you know money is almost money isn't good or bad. It is a tool. It is something that you have, but that doesn't fix your problems. That doesn't make you happy. That doesn't do a lot of the things that people you know assume that it will. Um, and it's really interesting to hear that that was how you know it stuck out in your mind was actually traveling to those places, seeing those people, seeing how happy they were um so yeah i am really interested into that and that's really like i, I love that
2: i always get very humble when i travel especially when i travel to countries where they have less than in denmark and always get positive and surprised as well to see like how high the happiness is for some of these people compared to in denmark where we complain about the smaller things there. like we have such a complaining culture in denmark where you're like i think it's lack of perspective if you don't see the perspective of how other people are actually living, it's easy to complain about things around you. But I think many of us are like living an extremely fortunate life. Like we're living better than kings and queens used to do, right? We have spices that they like, would have a very hard time to afford. We have all the music in the world. They might have one band that could play a few songs. Like we can, we used to be able to travel around the world, like how they would never be able to travel. We can talk to people from around. Like it's, it's, it blows my mind how that we have so much yeah, but did yeah. we not happy?
1: Yeah, no, it it really is, and perspective is huge, and I've never heard it put that way, and that's a really good way to put it that we do quite literally live better than kings and queens used to. Um, and I'm I'm curious on that too, because you know you talked about your parents being divorced when you were younger, and um, you know that being a part of your curiosity into happiness, and then also traveling and seeing these um, people that are you know, poor and don't have a lot by our standards and then seeing them very happy. What, you know, was it something that throughout your life you've always identified as interesting to you? Like right from, you know, when your parents got divorced, was that kind of the kickoff? Or was it after seeing, you know, these people in India and looking back on your life and the people in your life? And where did that curiosity around finding happiness and what happiness means, where did that first come up?
2: I think it's is those like two defining moments where I became more curious about it. Like before that, I was playing football and handball, Olympic handball. And, like the focus was just on being the best within that, um, and very narrow-minded. And I think often, like when we experience challenges, is is where we learn the most, right? Um, because otherwise, it's easy just to be focused on your sport or something else, and, and not really appreciate that people have a different life. So it really did spark uh, in those two moments. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, very cool, and. You know, that's another interesting point is that a lot of times I think that we, as a society, you know, try to cover up what is really bothering us with things of like, I can focus so much on this one thing, whether it's, you know, sports or work or whatever it might be, but I'm going to focus so much of my energy and time into this so that I don't have to deal with everything that's going on around me. And for me, that comes back to happiness of, I don't have to look at all the things that are making me unhappy because I can focus on this and tell myself that I'm happy when it's not necessarily true happiness. Do you have any thoughts on that?
2: Mm -hmm. Well, so I think happiness is a, a really interesting word and how we understand happiness. And I think it's often misunderstood. Martin Seligman, who is like the called the father of positive psychologists, a very known psychologist who, who kind of took psychology from being just, we used to look at like being sick, how do we get people from being sick to being okay? Not really thriving, but just like, how do we take people from being sick to okay? Which is super important. We had like nine out of 10 publications and so more was focused on that. So he said, but we also need to look at how do we also, if we get someone to okay, and also the rest of the people, how can we get them to thriving? And he talks about three different kinds of happiness. The first is hedonic happiness. That is what we um, associate with like chocolate, uh, sex, a good movie, something that feels good, like straight away, mm-hmm. and that's fantastic. But that's only one like level of happiness, and we need different levels. Um, and the more we get of something, um, the more chocolate we eat, suddenly it doesn't taste as good anymore. And this, um, we actually adjust very quickly to those kind of happiness, like hedonic happiness. Mm-hmm. So it's it's important not to only chase that. The other level is called flow, and Many people have heard about flow. I can't pronounce his name. The guy that came up with it, is, it's a Mitchell. I'm not even going to try. Yeah. Um, but flow is when everything disappears around you. Mm. You don't really experience these feelings, but you're so caught up in something. It's often something that's a bit challenging, but just at the right level of challenge where we get to, uh, to grow and learn new things. And that's another form of amazing happiness. And I think, Jared, I'm sure you've also with American football, that's also like in sports, you often experience flow. And I guess you don't remember that many feelings. Like, it's not like you feel that like, but it's just, it's a fantastic feeling, right?
1: Yes. Yeah.
2: And the third one is, is a, a sense of meaning contributing to others and helping. And I really think it's important when we look at happiness, that we look at those three different ones and look at, which one are we actually chasing? Or are we getting a good balance? Mm. So I think when we talk about all this happiness, it's super important to look at what kind of happiness are we actually chasing?
1: No, that's a, that's a super good point. And I haven't thought about it that way too. And especially, you said it was called hedonic, right? The first yeah. of, I think that, you know, like just thinking about it right now, I feel like that is what a lot of people are actually chasing. Is, is that you know those short spikes they feel like that is the only type of happiness that there actually is so no that's that's really interesting and again like a, a great perspective on it to put to people of like what are you actually chasing and what are you feeling in those moments when you're getting these things
2: and there's nothing like there's nothing wrong with hedonic happiness it's just if you only chase that, it's it's not going to fill you up in the same manner so I think for much of what I look at is it, like how do I get it done in cabinets? Like I kite surf, I skydive. I love to do things where my adrenaline gets up and I love to be around good people and doing that kind of stuff. But there's also like, I love to be in flow. Like I write a gratitude journal every evening um, or at least think about it, three things that I'm grateful for. And sometimes something as boring as doing accounting gets in. Because I'm in flow, I'm fully focused. It's a challenging job. I can see I'm making progress. It's not that I love to do accounting, but once in a while, just having those like two hours where I can, everything disappears around me, I'm fully focused. Um, That's quite interesting actually to figure out as well. And then the contribution. I had a podcast interview as well with a researcher who just came out with a, a new paper where they did three different studies on seeing whether you get more happiness from doing something good for yourself, which is more like the hedonic happiness, or whether if you did something good for others contribute to others and all of the tests showed or studies showed that you actually get more happiness from doing something good for others so i think that's quite interesting to see and also in like how are we being brought up and what are we learning about happiness
1: yeah yeah no for sure and you know i'm i'm curious for what your thoughts are on somebody who's asking, well, I don't know how to find happiness. Like, I don't I don't understand it. I don't know where to start. Like, I can see that there's three different kinds, but, you know, I either, you know, like nothing gives me that short burst of happiness or I can only find hedonic happiness. Um, I don't know what flow state is. I haven't experienced it. Um, where would you, where, where do you suggest people start <laughs> if they're trying to invite more happiness in their life?
2: I would start with a gratitude journal it is without one of the best tools because often we forget what happened during the day and like the the things that actually made us happy. And there's countless studies actually showing that like writing down three things you're grateful for a few times a week or every single day really improves your happiness. So just that act in itself, it rewire your brain. So your brain starts to see the more of the positive. It's as simple as, for example, if you buy a red Toyota, suddenly you'll see that if you buy a red Toyota, let's say you buy a, a Tesla, That's probably a a more cool car right now. A red Tesla. Suddenly you'll start seeing the red Tesla a lot more because now that's part of your focus. So when you write down the things that you're grateful for, you'll start to see more of it and you'll force your mind to actually think about and reflect. So it's so simple. It's super powerful and you'll start to learn. And then from that, you'll see like, okay, this made me happy. Okay, how can I chase more of that? Or how can I prioritize more of that? How can I schedule more of that? And then the simple thing of like, how can you contribute to others? Do you have some kind of special gift? And then you might be like, I'm not good at anything if you're into a deep hole right now. Well, there's definitely something you have to contribute to the world and you can volunteer different places. And you'll see that, that often when we help other people we get out of our own sorrow. So instead of being in our own hip and all about ourselves, when we are contributing to others, we see that we have like, we have value. We like, we actually have some value to bring that's not to say, and that's very important from the study as well, that you should only give to others. Like that's the martyr, right? We know the person that gives and gives and gives and expect to get the same amount back. If you're giving in the expect of getting the stuff back, it's not really giving, it's, it's a trade, right? And then people get really uh, upset or resentful when people are not giving back. But then it wasn't a general giving because it was basically just you are giving something with the expectation of them to give back without them actually consenting into this kind of trade of doing stuff and that's really not very fair and it's like and it's also of course important instead of only trying to help others to look after yourself and like make sure you get your sleep make sure you get some rest and so on and that became a longer spiel but i really think the gratitude journal and trying to find a place to volunteer is, is a super powerful thing
1: for sure no and it was it was good and that is one thing i've been thinking a lot about as well is that idea of what is really giving and what is actually You know, it almost, you know, giving with expectation to put it more nicely, but a lot of times it's, it almost goes into like manipulation of like, no, I did this for you. Now you have to do this for me. That's not giving, like you said, that's a trade that's expecting it back. And a lot of times, like you said, it is without the other person's consent. Uh, or even knowledge that that's what you're entering into. They, they're thinking, oh, like they did this for me, that's amazing, like I feel good because they did something. Not knowing you're, you're actually expecting them to, you know, come whenever they call or like get them a job or like you're looking for like a gift back, mm. right? Or whatever it might be. And I think it's something that a lot of people do unconsciously and then are you know, wonder why they don't feel fulfilled. You know, they go, I'm helping all these people. I'm doing all these things. Like, how come I'm not happy? How come I'm not feeling fulfilled from this? And it's because they're not, they're not truly giving.
2: No, they're trying to make a trade without the other person knowing it. And it's not because they're bad people. It's a very natural thing that happens. And we do have this kind of uh, social norm that if you help someone, you can kind of expect them to help you back. But thats, um, that's you can't always expect that. <clears throat> and especially if you're helping someone that's having a hard time. And I think it's much easier when you don't expect to get something back from that person. Like, uh, yeah. I really, I'm not sure if I believe, I kind of believe in some kind of karma. Like yeah. if you put a lot of good stuff out there expect, without expecting them to get it back to you, people will sense that you kind of have these good intentions and so on and, and things are going to come more your way naturally.
1: Yeah, no, I'm a huge believer in karma. So um, I believe that a lot and have been really consciously trying to give without that expectation back, because I definitely did it myself. Right. And, you know, a lot of times, again, it was so unconscious that I didn't realize that's what I was doing. But it is mm. not to say that, you know, that I'm perfect in not doing it. Um, you know, really. You know,
2: we're all human beings, like unperfect human beings. And I think that's also the, one of the first steps to being happy is realizing that we're imperfect human beings, right? We, have, we all have flaws and all things that we can work on and not be too hard on ourselves, hold ourselves to a high standard of like treating other people fairly and so on, but not be too hard on ourselves. I think way too many people are they're too hard on themselves. Yeah. Like,
1: and, you know, I would say that that was probably the biggest thing that kept me from being happy for a very long time. And uh, probably about a year ago, you know, I, I brought it back down to like, what is, what is my goal? What is my direction for this next little while in my life? And for me, it was to be happy because I, after looking inside, I realized that I was not happy. And because I was so hard on myself, the, you know, I felt a lot of those hedonic hits, but I would use them as a cover-up, Right. Yeah. When feeling bad. You know, I'm going to go get some nice food. Right. For me, it was like pizza. Like I love pizza. I'd eat pizza to make me feel better. I'd eat chips or like whatever it was, you know, to get that little bump that wouldn't last that long. And I felt flow state a lot, like, especially through work, if I could get into flow state and being taken out of that environment, I've missed it. Like Mm. I can feel myself when I go back into flow state and it's, it's so incredible and fulfilling and feels great. And like, time just melts away, like you're saying, and it can be something as, you know, mundane as accounting, like you're using. And I've felt that as well. Um, and I've missed that. However, it was never actually giving me any fulfillment. And I I didn't feel like I was contributing to anybody because I was so hard on myself. Of, you know, I haven't done enough. This wasn't good enough. Like I could have done better. And instead of being grateful for what I had achieved, I would focus on, you know, my missteps or where I'd gone wrong or, you know, whatever it might've been. And I, you know, through this conversation, that's starting to pop up for me of understanding in it.
2: Yeah. And I think that's, so spot on what you're saying jared like it so people so many people are so hard on themselves i was very lucky that i had a mom that believed a lot in me and put a lot of confidence and self-esteem and like no matter what i did then it was fantastic um she was the mom that was sitting and yelling at when we were playing uh, sports to yell at the coach that they should uh, get us to get the ball more or put us in the field so the embarrassing level but like that (laughs) amount of love getting in helps But through my discovery of like different, like things within happiness and so on, I also learned a simple exercise that I think everyone should do is like, writing down things that you are proud of that you've done. And it like amazes me that so few people have done it. Like what are things that you have done that you are proud of? Um, And it can be something as small as a painting or like, the smile that you gave to a stranger on the street or something else, like that you're a good human being, having that written down and all of the, what do you say, resources you have available for you. It might be a good friend. It might be something else that like is giving a good life. Just having that. Um, I learned about that. I'm not, I don't think it was Tony Robbins, but from studying a lot of positive psychology. Mm-hmm. And then later yeah. on, I was uh, a part of starting a company called Nuna.ai, which is um, this mental well-being. A chatbot-based app, and I read through all of these protocols from the psychiatry, and so many of the exercises were the same that I've been doing when I was feeling good. These were exercises you give to depressed people, or stressed people, or anxious people. But I think more of us need to do those exercises to stay at the at the good level, and just being able to pull that out on a hard day because we all have hard days, we all have terrible days. Yeah. Uh, but like that helps uh, how you look at the days. And I think for me again because of. I've trained so much on doing this stuff. Often, my most difficult days are also my most grateful days, because that's when I realize how good a life I have normally, and that there's a way out of it. And and knowing that in that piece of paper or like document can help you see like, hey, there is a way out.
1: Yeah, I love that, and I think it's so so important. It comes back to that perspective of you can be proud of anything. And it's funny when you were saying that. I realize that comes up a lot for me of like, oh, that wasn't that wasn't good enough to be proud of, right? Or I know like, you know, making a stranger smile can, you know, make you proud and there's nothing wrong with being proud of that. And just taking away that, you know, how hard people are on their, themselves is, is, yeah, just so important. And um, thank you for sharing that. And, you know, going back, going back to, you know, how much your mom would support you. And you know, especially in sports and everything like that, did she support that curiosity as well? Did both of your parents support that curiosity when you were young? Because I, you know, you joked that you know it was got to an annoying point sometimes, as you know, kids can be. Um, and I think that a lot of times that's squashed in kids if parents don't want to hear that. They're like, no, this is the way it is. Did they encourage you to you know keep questioning things, to keep discovering? Um, how did that how did that go when you were young? Yeah.
2: So my mom always had high uh, faith in me and everything my brother and I did was fantastic. She got a bit tired of my ideas uh, <laughs> because often it involved them. So, but my dad was, uh, it was, the, was going more into my ideas. And helping me, he took me to the library and the, my mom has definitely helped as well. So she's listening. So it'd be like, mess, you forgot about your youth. But how I remember it was that my mom was always like, whatever I did, it was absolutely magical, but she got very tired of all of my ideas coming all the time. Just like my roommates have done ex-girlfriends as well, because so many questions, but I was extremely lucky that my dad really went into these crazy ideas, helped me when I was like, very young and like, okay, how do we try and build it? Right. Whether I wanted to, Yeah so many weird things that i tried to build (laughs) Uh, i wanted to learn how to fly and build stuff for that as well and the weirdest stuff um but i was i was extremely lucky there and as you're saying not all parents do that and i think that's also why i am where i'm today is because i was able to keep that curiosity because that was actually being positively enforced right
1: yeah yeah no i think it's so important i think that so much of us is pushed down and a lot of times by parents and a lot of times by society or the way that things are supposed to be right um so no I was just that was curious for me um I want to switch gears a little bit here though uh to something else that you talk a lot about and that's biohacking and so for I guess first off just like starting for people how would you describe biohacking like when what comes to mind when somebody says biohacking, what does that mean to you?
2: Yeah, so I often talk about Nordic biohacking. Biohacking, Nordic biohacking are very similar, but I like the Nordic approach to it. So I say that Nordic biohacking is the art and science of optimizing your health, your performance, and well-being through the use of nature and technology. Mm. So it's very important to look at both nature and technology. So we basically look at, we love science and we love the art of science that you look at a study and see, okay, you look at the graph and see this works for 80% of people. That's fascinating. Like we like double-blinded studies like this. This is where we need to start like um, 80, 20, like where do you get 80% of the results with 20% of the effort? This is called Pareto optimization that has shown to work with many things. So like, where do you start and get the most impact? And often you start with studies. That's why we also t- talked about um the science and then there's the other part like there's often outliers Mm. and are you an outlier that's really important to figure out so it's not just taking anything for granted but it's testing it out yourself and figuring out are you one of those outliers or would you actually like to be one of those outliers that are getting better results with something else so we really look at the studies and then we look as well at ancestral wisdom so what does that actually mean so ancestral wisdom is we used to think that the brain was fixed. I think it's only 20 years back or 30 years back. The brain was fixed. That's a scientific fact. The brain cannot change after you become an adult.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: That was bullshit.
1: Yeah. Like, oh yeah.
2: <laughs> you know, it's false. And like we now know, and we people used to laugh of people that are meditating, right, and thinking that would work, and they would ridicule them about being like, oh, you don't understand anything. Not proper science. There's nothing that backs it. And so on, turned out they were right. We can actually change the brain in eight weeks with a little bit of meditation. So some of the things that are kind of like ancestral wisdom that has been done for ages or like my, it even goes as far as my grandma used to do, right? We now know that fasting as has been done in many religions is super powerful for longevity. Praying, being grateful as has been, been done in the religions. Um, we know that if you eat fat first and proteins before you do carbs, uh, your blood glucose is not going to spike as much, which is positive, which goes back to like you were being taught always eat your dessert in the end. There's so many of these small things that we were told um, that we are starting to figure out many things with plants as well. So that's why we talk about the art and science and we talk about it coming from ancestral wisdom. And then the big thing in biohacking is N equals one. So that was kind of what I mentioned before is the sample size is one. So you need to figure out what works for you. Gotcha, okay okay
1: and what got you interested in it like where did you first discover it where did you you know did you dive in right away or was it kind of on your radar for a little bit and then you know something really hit and you went all in how was your journey with that
2: so i've always been interested in like how do you get job performance yeah that was that was my main like how do you become the best at whatever you're doing um, and that came very much from a psychological perspective and also going back to what I read when I was younger and like, you have the right mindset, then you can achieve more things, playing sports as well as like training the right amount and so on. And I was at a Tony Robbins event in Los Angeles and this weird guy came on stage uh, called Dave Asprey and oh. Dave Asprey is kind of like the father of biohacking and I was I always like studies. I read a lot of psychological studies. Um, I had a semester at Harvard where we like drove into them and it was so fascinating, like what seems to be working. And he took that also, like the mix of psychology and these different technologies and so on. I was, I was hooked. I had already looked at like functional medicine and so on, how to get uh, to good health. But like that using science and looking at the studies, testing it on yourself, and also testing kind of this ancestral wisdom just intuitively made a lot of sense for me. So for me, biohacking is not about chips in the hand. Um, that's the, I don't think that's the right approach to go. And that's also why we talk about the Nordic biohacking. The American biohacking will have a higher focus on technology, potentially in nature, but you'll see a guy like Dave Asprey. he talks a ton about nature. And the fun thing is that like many of the biohackers are moving more and more towards uh, being huge advocates for nature.
1: Mm, okay
2: so so even though they love technology and i love to have things on my brain that measures my brain waves and so on i think it's so fascinating um, and many people do many people are very interested in like what are the natural things we can do that are actually free
1: amazing and so what are some of you know i think the thing that sticks up the most for me is that n equals one of like what specifically works for you and that's you know really important and especially looking at those studies, because, you know, the point of a study is to see what works for most people. However, in your life, it is what works for you. And what do you, so when people are first getting into, you know, they want to explore biohacking, they want to look at it. How do you suggest that they, they start their own journey into it? Is like What kind of resources, you know, what kind of things should they try?
2: Yeah, super good question. So the first thing is really, what do you want to get out of it? Super simple, what do you want to get out of this biohack or something else? Because that is the key for then figuring out what to look more into because you can always hear about these new like cool biohacks or something else but it might not be worth your time, right? So I start to ask like, okay, what do you want to get out of it? Um, Is this biohack providing some kind of data that you can use so that like it, it moves you the right direction? Is it fun? like god damn it too many people are so focused on beating themselves up on like oh i have to do this so i get in the right shape and so on like does it is it fun does it provide you joy i think that's a super important thing um like the best form of exercise is the exercise you do like it's quite simple yeah um yes there are studies showing that hit is like some of the most effective and so on if you have short time there's something called the 3x bar that's quite good at like uh, getting muscles and so on but the really important thing is like are you feeling good and we know like uh, being a whole person and so on, it's not just about lifting weights. It's about feeling good. And social interactions are extremely important. Mm-hmm. So I often also value it, can it be some kind of social thing? Um, I look at, does it save me time? I still have met that many people that just like, I have too much time. Like, I just wish I had something to occupy. Most people like are feeling stressed, like they all yeah. work. They want more hours in the day. So I'm like, this is actually save me time. Um, how much money does it cost? So those are some of like the start questions. Mm-hmm. Um, so once you know what you want to do, I would definitely go follow some people that actually know something about and sharing proper information. Um, I don't share stuff that I don't know anything about or I haven't heard from smart people. So like people are very welcome to go on my Instagram where I share some stuff. I'll start to share more, but go to some of the people that seems more legit um, that actually also reference sources and so on from where it's coming. I think that's a really good starting point. This is some, a book called the Biohacker's Handbook written by some uh, Finnish guys. And it's a really good starting point because it kind of takes you through and there's like 500 reference or 1500 references, scientific references. It's a book on like 500 pages. Wow. So they, they actually tie it up to like, this should work for the majority of people if this is what you want to focus on.
1: And what are some of, like, what are some of your favorite hacks that you've integrated into your life and currently are still doing or, you know, having the past? What are some of the ones that have helped you the most and why?
2: Yeah. So I like to, if I can, do something that's easy, implementable Mm ones. So simple things, not every, you're not, it's not everything that you feel straight away, but some of the things that I have have a air filter in my home, it's simple, um, two air filters, and then it's there it kind of just cleans the air. It's not something that I, I feel instantly. It's not like food where you feel that rush or something else, but that's a super easy thing. I use a photobiomodulation, it's called red light, a big panel, and it just, it's one of the biohacks, it just feels amazing. Yeah. Like you sit up against it, I meditate at the same time, and it's, I get a good feeling from it. There's a bunch of studies also showing that it's good for the mitochondria, and mitochondria is like the powerhouse of the cell. So the short version, anything that's good for mitochondria that's awesome. So, um, and, and this is good for that. So I have a water filter as well. Again, something that's simple to get, but that then actually provide results longer term. Yeah. I try to do a lot of the free ones. So those were like the more expensive ones. So breathing. Yeah. So simple, like a breathing exercise. I learned from one of my guests, like something as simple as breathing in, and then it sounds weird, but the humming, kind of like the um, but keeping your mouth closed. So like the um, you continue that and you try to get it down in your chest. And if you're listening, try and put this on pause and do that three times. It's going to take you 30 seconds or a minute. It, it uh, activates the nerves, the vagus nerve and makes you just feel better in the body. Um, something as simple as grounding Taking your shoes out, <clears throat> off and being on some grass, it sounds very hippie. Uh, we intuitively know it's nice. Uh, you see kids always taking their shoes off and being in the grass, right? And there's some studies showing that it lowers inflammation. Mm. Most of the studies are still on um, um, low study participants. Um, and you can discuss the quality of it. But there is some stuff that are showing that it's good for inflammation. And it's just one of the things that it feels good for me when I'm doing it. And then I do blood testing to figure out like what should I eat and what supplements should I take? So that I actually know, for example, I went to a much more vegan diet and I, it turned out I wasn't getting enough B12. Mm. So, but that was super simple. I got a B12 supplement. And then the next time I got tested, my B12 levels were good. So something as simple as that, just getting like, there's so much religion about food, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: So it it helps to figure out what are you missing and then seeing how your body actually reacts.
1: Yeah. And you know, it's I was gonna say it's really interesting. And, you know, I I hadn't heard a lot about Nordic biohacking. And I think that this is the angle um, that I haven't necessarily heard before because all of these things, you know, make a lot of sense to me, where you know, they are at the core of it, a lot of them are more simple and they make you feel good. And it is integrating little things into your life that make you feel better. Uh, A lot of times in my mind, when I hear biohacking, I hear of almost people looking for shortcuts, Mm. right? Of I want to slap this patch on that gives me all of these vitamins and all of my problems will go away, right? Or I want to do this one simple thing and everything will be better. And feeling like a lot of those people also jump around from, you know, um, trend to trend to trend because, you know they're uh, they're almost using it, in my opinion, as a band aid. As uh, I want to feel good. I don't want to put the work in to do it, so I'm going to do this one simple thing again to solve all my problems. Um, have you run into people like that at all?
2: Yes, yeah, yeah. So, so it's a big thing. Um. So first of all, biohacking is about finding the shortcuts, but it's about finding the shortcuts to live a good life. It's about finding the shortcut to have the energy to feel fantastic. Mm to be around the people that you love to show up as the good version of yourself. So you have these good interactions that spiral into like a positive loop. So biohacking is definitely not like biohacking as well about shortcuts Mm -hmm. and the right things, but what you're saying is spot on with many people in the biohacking environment, like, and more and more people are speaking up about this. Like you can't fix a shitty diet with supplements. Yeah. Like it, it, like it doesn't work that way. So you still need a, a, like a good diet. That said, the quality of our soil is really bad. The quality of our food is not the same as many years ago. So now many people need to actually um, supplement up um, to get the right nutrition. Not everyone, but it, it can be hard depending on where you're living and so on. So, so I definitely agree with you, Jared. There's a lot of people also, you'll find a lot of unhealthy people in the biohacking environment that are just looking for that next fix, but they don't look at the root causes. They don't look at like the fundamentals, like the fundamentals, uh, sleep, are you getting proper sleep? Are you getting proper nutrition, food? Are you getting movement? Are you having, do you have good social like uh, interactions and how is your mindset? Those are really the foundation. And many people, they start with like that micro optimization instead of like the big one. So actually yeah. they, they turn the 80, 20 around instead of like the 20% that made 80% of the effort, they look at the last 20%, but that takes 80% of the effort. Yeah. So that is is spot on and absolutely key. And it's also, it's important to understand why many people get into biohacking. Many people come in from having been sick for something and so on. So it's also important to see like where are you in the spectrum, just like with how are you mentally? Are you from sick to okay? Are you from okay to feeling fantastic? And many people come in if they really learn a lot from being sick. So you don't necessarily have to do all the things as fanatic as they might be doing, depending on how you're feeling. If you are really sick and the doctors has nothing to do, sometimes functional medicine and being more fanatic works to get you to that level. But then once the body kind of heals again, then you can start to be a bit more relaxed. But yeah, it's one of, I get a bit uh, carried away, but I think it's so important what you're saying there because too many people are, Instead of going at the root causes, which biohacking is supposed to be about, um, they go to small fixes.
1: Yeah, no, honestly, it, it truly is refreshing for me to hear because that is where my mind now automatically goes is of like trying to fix those micros, trying to have like a, you know, a, a wonder pill that fixes all my problems. Of whenever I hear the term biohacking, that is just automatically where I go now. So it is super refreshing to hear you know, tackling those root causes and taking the approach that you look at it of, I am a huge believer in, and in the nature and the science. I feel like a lot of people will only go one way, right? Is, you know, we completely ignore all the science. It is, this is nature, it's perfect. Um, or um, we're only going on science. We're going to ignore the, you know, thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of years that nature has taken and that we have taken in our development. We're going to ignore that because this is what science tells us. And taking both of them into consideration is always, in my humble opinion, you know, the way to go. I fully
2: agree. And you see more like, I interviewed a guy called Timo the other day. If you Google his name, he looks freaky with like things on his brain and so on, right? But the, the podcast episode we talked about, he talked very much about nettle. Mm. like freaking nettle, but but like nature and how you can get so much stuff from nature. He's still like, he loves the things for brain scanning as I do as well and so on. But yeah. He's very much like, okay, well, like there's so many amazing things in nature. And sometimes because we live in this unnatural world, we need to bring in some of these biohacks to counterbalance when we're not in nature, where if we are more in nature, we might not need as many of the things, mm-hmm. um, but it's fascinating. We have hyperbaric oxygen chambers, right? Like yeah. Jared, that technology is coming. We managed uh, in israel there was a study where there's something called telemorphs which is one of the hallmarks of aging and is in and they shorten when we get older they managed to increase them with 20 percent wow and 20 if you don't know much about it could be higher low right but like uh, exercise and other things we might get one to five so this is also part of biohacking like the longevity and like how we are getting things at work we have neurofeedback which is super-effectful for brain injuries, um, like concussions, and has been giving really good results with depression and also sharpness and so on. So this, we still love the technology, right? It's just like, don't get lost in the technology. Yeah. Um, but technology is a big part, like the whole longevity field is very much related to biohacking as well. Like we see that we've been able to uh, double the lifespan of mice the last couple of years. We've been able to five X mosquitoes yeah. that should be banned by the way. But, yeah nevertheless and 10x the lifespan of worms and so we're looking at as well like how can we live a long healthy life i don't think a lot of biohackers want to live a long sick life it's very much about how do we live a good life while we are alive and but we don't want to extend like five more sick years if it's five more good years we want to use the technology we don't want to use the technology to extend more sick years i don't think that's a, a life worth living
1: yeah, no, super important point there that it's, it's not just the quantity of life that you get, but it is so much so about the quality as well. Um, amazing, absolutely amazing. And we are running out of time here, but is there anything that we didn't get to that um, you wanted to say or um, you want to bring up anything like that?
2: I think we got to a lot of subjects. It's always hard this little time. Uh, if people are curious, they're super uh, welcome to, I often uh, share on Instagram, uh, Mass at Mfreeze. Uh, at mess uh, I'm sure it can go in the show notes. I have my podcast as well where I interview experts in these fields and I try to angle the conversation in practical stuff, what can we actually do? So instead of only talking about problems then like kind of this happy spirit of like, what can we do? Um, so I can still sort of places where it's easiest to find me and it's possible to like continue the dialogue
1: Awesome, amazing, and the last question that I ask every guest that comes on here um, is, "What does this next phase in your journey look like?" And that could be personal, it could be professional, kind of whichever way you want to take it. But what does this next phase in your journey look like?
2: The next phase is I want to learn about more about being heartfelt.
1: Hmm, what does that mean?
2: So heartfelt is i remember it's in my head. I like logical things and thinking that way. But I'm heartfelt when I'm kite surfing. I'm heartfelt when I am um, teaching. So when I'm facilitating, I'm, I'm not really thinking that much. It's very much just coming from my heart. It's that connection you have both with nature, or I have with nature uh, and other human beings where I am in my body m- much more than in my head? And I find that extremely fascinating. I get it from yin yoga as well. So that's part of, that's my personal journey, learning more about that while also nerding out on all the health stuff but that's really a facet of life that when you talk about a three happiness you might be able to put a fourth level of like that heartfeltness of being connected i think that's absolutely fantastic
1: i love that so much um thank you so much for being on i really enjoyed myself and um i wish you all the best and i can't wait to connect again soon okay
0: pleasure
2: jared thanks for having me on
0: Thanks for listening to the podcast. We'd love to hear any feedback that you have through Instagram at Jared Salikin or by email jared at jaredsalikin.com as well as it really would mean the world to me if you liked and subscribed to the podcast. Thanks so much.